Golden State Warriors basketball. Shoots over Danny Green. Rainbow! Nothing but net! How did he do it? The fifth three-point shot of the night for Steph Curry. This is Warriors Roundtable with the voice of the Warriors, Tim Roy. Here's Tolliver open again and nails a three. Golden State in transition defense didn't locate the shooter. The lead is back up to 18. It's 78 to 60 Charlotte. Well, it was not a night to remember out at Oracle as the Charlotte Bobcats came to town and put together a very good defensive effort against the Golden State Warriors. And the Warriors shot the worst they have since 2004 at 31%. A very tough night at Oracle. Hi, everybody. I'm Tim Roy, inviting you once again to take a seat around the roundtable. It's the Warriors Weekly Roundtable here on KMBR 680, the sports leader. During the course of an NBA season, we get immersed in the minutia of the schedule. We tend to live and die on possessions, on games. So I think tonight's a good night to take a step back and look at the Golden State Warriors, not only this year, but last year. If you go back to last season, and you look at that road trip right in the middle of the year where the Warriors didn't play defense, they lost all four games, they had lost their edge, and it looked like they were going into a downward spiral that would take them out of the playoffs. But... They regained their defensive principles, got back to playing the kind of basketball they needed to play, and then when they got to the playoffs, they did not look back. So I think we need to take a step back and look at the big picture. If the Warriors go on and beat Chicago Thursday and then win in Phoenix on Saturday, then the loss in Charlotte won't have that same sting to it that it has tonight. But all that said, the Warriors have to turn around and get back to playing basketball and show a sense of urgency because if you look at the Western Conference standings, they're only two games from being out of the playoff picture. In fact, they're closer to nine than they are to five. And about three weeks ago, we were talking about the Warriors maybe even getting closer to four. Uh, So right now, the Warriors have some work to do. Coming up on tonight's show, we'll talk with Kent Bazemore and how he's progressing in year number two in the NBA and also what he sees with the Warriors' struggles of late and how to fix it. We'll also take a step back in time, an interview I had with outgoing Commissioner David Stern back in 2008 when the Warriors were in China, and we'll look back at the 30 years of his reign over the NBA. Adam Silver, of course, now the new commissioner of the National Basketball Association. Answer your questions on Warriors Vox. We'll find out what the Warriors are doing off the floor to make the Bay Area a better place to live. Coming up in the second half hour, we'll talk with Kevin Arnovitz of a True Hoop at ESPN.com, and he'll have some reassuring words on the Golden State. Warriors, and we'll also talk about how Kevin Durant and LeBron James, how their competitive nature is making the NBA an even better league. It's all coming this hour. A quick reminder, don't miss the upcoming bobblehead giveaway. The Wilt Chamberlain bobblehead night is this Monday, February 10th, where the Warriors take on the Philadelphia 76ers. The first of 10,000 fans in attendance will receive a limited edition bobblehead courtesy of Kia Motors. Tickets start just $35. Buy early and save at warriors.com slash bobblehead. When we continue on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable, a conversation with Ken Bazemore right here on KMBR 680, the sports leader. Golden State Warriors basketball. Lee wrestles away the rebound, leads a three-on-two, finds Bogut running the floor, and he throws it down with two hands. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. 
space, or he'll dribble into traffic, weaving his way. Hand off to Spades, layup is up and good. That's one of the better plays Kent Bazemore has made all season long right there. Aggressively going to the rim, draws the defense, nice little wraparound pass to Spades. To the race, go and rejected by Bazemore, who goes high in the air and swats it out of bounds. Oh my goodness. That ball was detected, inspected, and rejected by Kent Bazemore. Well, the Warriors Weekly Roundtable continues. I'm Tim Roy, and a pleasure now to be joined by uh, Warriors swingman Kent Bazemore. And, Kent, I know it's not the, uh, the best day to talk about uh, the Golden State Warriors. A tough one last night. It, it just seemed the club couldn't get any rhythm started. Yeah, you know, um, you know it's just the, the woes that come with, you know, this season has been up and down for us all year, and uh, we're just going to continue to work and turn this thing around. What do you see? What what do the Warriors need to do to kind of snap out of this? It seemed like after the road trip and the, the club came home and played Boston, then they had the four days off, it seemed like the club lost a little bit of its edge after that. What has to happen to get that back? Yeah, you know, when you go from playing, you know, every other day, and then there's days you play, and then you get three days off, you know, your body kind of gets out of whack. You know, we're used to, you know, going pretty tough. You know, our first the first half of the the other, uh, this schedule of this season has been pretty, you know, pretty fast paced, and you know we're getting a few days off, and you know it's it's kind of starting to show. But uh, like I said, you know it's just only a matter of time before we get this thing rolling back again. You know we just got Jermaine back last night, so that's another wrinkle in our uh, rotations. You know we are uh, we are real close to figuring this out. You know, last year, and I was talking about this last uh, last night on the air. Last year, it seemed like. You know, the club had this kind of a stretch, too. It was in February, right around the All-Star break. Uh, went on that road trip, and just you know, nothing went right on that road trip. Uh, you know, do, do you remember that time? And if so, what do you think got the Warriors back on track then? Yeah, I, I do remember that time. Uh, you know, it was a very dark place around here for everyone. But uh, like I said, we just stuck with it. You know, we, we know the potential we have. You know, we've showed spurts of that this season. You know, the, the, the team we, uh, we can be. You know, we played with the best. You know, we played toe-to-toe with the best teams in the league. And, you know, it's like I said, it's only a matter of time. And uh, we just got to stick with it. You know, don't let go of the rope and stay the course. T- tell me a-, a little bit about your season. This is year two now in the NBA. You know what to expect. You know you know how the game is played. You know the, the routine of, of uh, getting yourself ready for a game. Uh, what are you better at mentally this year as opposed to your rookie season? Uh, I just know exactly what I need to work on now. You know, last year I was, you know, developing my game, you know, as far as, like, getting a jump shot, you know, getting a better handle. But now, you know, I have that year under my belt. You know, i kind of been in game situations where I know I need to do this on this play or, you know, I know I need to, you know, back cut with my man's head's turning. You know, just the small things that, that go a long way in the game. You know, I know I need, to, I need to, if a guy's a shooter, you know, stay on his body and don't gap the screen. You know, small things like that. And um, Joe Boyle has been instrumental uh, in, in that in that, uh, in that that growth of, of, of the mental aspect of the game, you know, just by watching a lot of film. You know, he'll send me clips of, you know, certain players like, you know, Matt Barnes cutting when the ball's in the post or, how J.J. Reddick comes off uh, a floppy screen, you know, the pace he plays with, or what or Goran Dragic does, late clock on the pick and roll. So those are things that I've been working on, you know, trying to get better at. Joe Boylan, one of the uh, player development coaches on uh, Mark Jackson's staff, and does a great job. And and uh, you're a player that, that continues to get some work. I, I Actually, I think the Santa Cruz Warriors, 
want you to keep coming back. It seems like every time you go down there, the club wins. Yeah, uh, it's so fun down there, man, and, and just to be out there with the guys, you know, because those guys are down there grinding just like I am. So it was very, very easy for me to, you know, step outside of the Golden State Warriors and put myself right in their shoes. And, you know, they all meet, uh, greet me with open arms down there because, you know, they know we always have a great time. You know, we, we go out there, have fun. We play really hard and, you know, come up with wins. Let's talk a little bit about the the D League and, and the NBA because so many players are coming out of the D League now and sticking in the National Basketball Association. I don't think there's been a time where the talent level at the D League or when I was just starting out the Continental Basketball Association, uh, the the talent level is I think at an all time high down there. But what is the the difference between you know succeeding at that level and succeeding at the NBA? Uh. I mean, that's a that's a a very tough question, but you know, it's just I think it's all with the opportunity. You know, this this league, the NBA has, you know, three hundred fifty, three hundred sixty some odd guys who can all play. You know, the D League has guys too that can you know come up here and hang with the best of them as well. But you know, it's it's just some some way. Uh, that's how the cricket crumbles for some players. You know, a lot of guys get to play thirty minutes, and then the other guys just have to. You know, wait their turn. You know, it's a, it's it's very tough to get in this league, and you know, it's it's filled top to bottom with very great players. So, you know, you just got to be patient. You know, the D League is is definitely come up, and I definitely uh, recommend it for you know any player you know in my position. You know, just to go down there and get reps. You know, get stay sharp, stay in game shape, and you know, it's it's a very fun time. You know, and you're a good example of that too, because you know you were given a chance last year. Uh, by the Golden State Warriors, and you've established yourself as a player with NBA talent and skill. But all you needed was the chance to, to show somebody on the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said, this league is is, is 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 the best league in the world for a reason. And you know, these guys, you know, they all put in the hard work to get here. You know, they're all spent you know thousands and thousands of hours in the gym. You know, waiting for a chance to to hold hold that 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 rock with uh, the NBA logo on it. And and it, it all pays off, you know. All the guys that are here work hard, and and it all shows. I watch you work on your shot, you know, before every game. You're out there early. You get your reps in. You know, how much more uh, confidence is there for you right now uh, with that jump shot? Oh, it's 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 amazing. You know, the strides I've taken, and you know, since last year this time, I was just talking to Lindsey Hunter, Coach Lindsey Hunter, the other day, and I was joking around like, man. I mean, I was being serious, but. I would turn a 45-minute workout into a two-hour workout just with all the bricks I was throwing up out there. But, uh, you know, it's just, you got to stay the course. You know, a jump shot is, some, is something that is not going to change overnight. You know, I'm still making changes to it, you know, still trying to, you know, make it as, as consistent as possible, you know. But when you get to watch guys like, you know, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson shoot it, you know, you can kind of take things from their form, you know, ask them questions like, hey, man, like, how do you shoot it so well? I mean, they can never really explain to me because they were just born with it. But, uh, you know, just, just like getting with shooting coaches, you know, watching guys shoot on YouTube. You know, YouTube is a, a very good tool in, in learning this game because you can pretty much search anything and it'll come up. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I've done a little uh, coaching on the grade school level, and if you if you want to be a, a player, you can find drills, you can find uh, oh, yeah. tutorials, uh, whatever whatever you want. There is there's plenty of things out there if you want to improve your game. All it takes is just a little quick click of a mouse, and then get the get the ball and and go work at it. Oh and, yeah. 
You know, Cal, I, I want to give you a compliment because I've been around this league a long time. This is my, actually my 25th year in the NBA, and, and, and uh, I've seen a, a million players come up and, and, and not get playing time, and, and there's been a whole bunch that have just cut, either hung their head or they grumble a little bit, but you've kind of thrown yourself into this 100%, whether it be off the floor, the, the community work you do for the club, on the bench, you're, you're in every game. You are, you are definitely attached to what's going on on the floor. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a great skill. That's a great way, really, to attack life. Yeah, you just got to be, you know, I'm, I'm a very overly optimistic person sometimes, and, you know, it works both ways. But uh, that's, that's what got me here. You know, I, I have this in, incredible knack just to work hard. And I, I got it from my mom. You know, she, she, my mom and dad, you know, they worked so hard when I was coming up. You know, they never, you know, even though things would, would get a little shaky, they would never let, you know, let never let people see them sweat. And uh, that's one thing I, I've, I've stayed with my entire life. You know, I'm a, you know, regardless of what's going on, you know, in my life, I'm going to continue to smile and be that, you know, that shining light and, you know, it's, it's it makes my job easier when your teammates and you know the organization, you know, really lets you be that person. You know, because I let's say I go somewhere else and you know they don't like that. You know, they say, hey, he's over there clowning. You know, but no, I'm actually over there having a good time. And you know, Bob Myers, Joe Lake, up you know, the whole front office. You know, Coach Jackson. You know, all the way down to the last guy on the bench. You know, uh, which would be me. Uh, we all enjoy it. You know, so it's just a great time. Kev Basemore is my guest here on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. Uh, let's get uh, right to it. First of all, I want to say, that it, how is Festus Azili doing? Because, you know, it was pointed out to me that uh, in in one way, he's still a rookie. He hasn't played a game in his second year. He's still got the – is he still to- toting a backpack, backpack and the whole bit? Yeah, you know, uh, Bogut and, and D. Lee mess with him a little bit sometimes with the whole rookie thing, but – you know, Festus is kind of, you know, just, just rehabbing right now. You know, it's kind of tough for him because he wants to be out there so bad, you know, you know, given that right. Uh, a lot of players in this league, you know, once you miss time, like Jermaine O'Neal, he went through the same thing. Like, you just want to be out there. You just want to be out there so bad, you know, that, that uh, you know, it hurts. You know, you got to go home. You can't really go out there to battle with your teammates. And, you know, it's some days we have these frustrating games and it's just tough to watch. But, you know, he's working hard every day, you know, in his rehab, you know, lifting, you know, ball handling, you know, working on his catching drills, working on his finishing drills. And, you know, he's making good strides to get back as soon as he can. So when you're away from the game, are you a movie guy or like a video game guy? What what uh, what keeps you busy? Man, I do it all, man. I uh, just got my, my clubs, my golf clubs from, uh, yeah, my ping, from ping. And, uh, you know, I go to the, I go to the dry range every now and again. You know, I love, watch out. That stuff's addicting. <laughs> I know, it's man. It's addicting. Yeah, you get the little golf bug. I, I mm-hmm. know I was out there every day, every every chance I could. You know, the first week I got them. Um, it's been kind of tough here lately with these games every other day. You know, you got to get home and get your proper rest. But, uh, you know, golf, you know, video games, I play FIFA a lot. I say I still I can't. The basketball games, I can't really do, you know, because I'm around it so much. You know, that, right. that's my time to get away from it. You know, I play Madden, of course. Um and then I read a lot. You know, uh, reading is, you know, my way to stay sharp, you know, keep your vocabulary strong. You know, me being out of school, it's kind of tough to, you know, you don't have any homework anymore. So once your brain's off, it's off. But, you know, you got to stay sharp by reading, you know, just trying to, uh, you know, like I said, strengthen your vocabulary and, you know, hold conversations with people other than the stuff about basketball. Yeah, the, my, the, I got some great advice one time from a, a former teacher of mine who said that, don't worry, you become a better scholar after school. Oh, yeah, no question. You know? 
So what uh, what books are, have been on your, your shelf lately? What would you recommend? Uh, I was reading this uh, Thomas Paine book, um, Common Sense and Other Writings. It's, it's, oh, just one of, the, one of the most famous pamphlets in yeah, American history. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm into that type of stuff. I love, you know, American history. You know, anything dealing with politics I'm into now. You know, all the stuff I... You know, because being in college, you know, you're in this bubble, you know, no or no responsibility. So you you rarely know what's going on outside of you. And uh, I was uh, watching this documentary um, from a guy, Robert Riche, I think. he He's a professor over at Cal, where he was. I'm not sure if he's there now. You know, he did a great documentary. You know, so I watched those type of things, too, just to learn about what's going on, you know, around me. So, you know, I can easily step into step outside his basketball life and be a normal person for a day or two. Well, Tom, Thomas Paine said that time makes more converts than reason. Oh, yeah. So uh, I, I'm not sure if that's a, a good thing sometimes, but it, it, it's very interesting thinking, and it, uh, it's a book that I read years ago mm-hmm. uh, when I was in, actually in college. I have read that book for a history course of mine. But that that's good. And the, the documentaries, are I think, are fascinating. I oh, try yeah. to do that when we're on the road. You know, if you find a good one, on the PBS, you might I might stick with that on the yeah. course of an evening. So interesting, very interesting stuff. I look forward to uh, chatting with you more about what uh, what you're reading. Let's get circle it back to to the hoop again and and oh, yeah. uh, big game tomorrow night against Chicago. Big game Saturday at Phoenix, who's just above the Warriors in the standings. How important is it for the Warriors? You know, win or lose, how important is it for the club to come out in these two games and play well? Uh, you know, I think. Us making, you know, more than 15 shots next game would be a plus. But, uh, uh, you know, it's it's frustrating, you know. But like I said earlier, you know, we know what we can do. And it's it's just not freakishly big things that we got to change. You know, it's a small thing. So that's what gives us a lot of hope, you know. We go out here and, you know, play play with a lot more effort. than I think, you know, this thing will turn around for us. But uh, it's just, you know, this this stuff right here will make us stronger down the stretch. Um I think it'll help us in the play in our playoff run, you know, going through these holes now. So when adversity does hit, we can always look back and look like, hey, man, it's been worse. You know, so we can't turn back from here. Yeah, it's a long season. And uh, one of the things that the, you, know, you kind of hang your hat on is that, okay, it's just one game. There's there's 82 of them, and there's plenty of basketball left to, to play. And I think uh, a win tomorrow and a win Saturday, and I think that will ease the uh, the sting of last night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without a doubt. Without, but uh, you can't discredit Charlotte. You know, they're, they're a very hard-playing team. You know, they, they, you know, their record doesn't reflect on, you know, the, the potential they have as being a team, I think. You know, there are a few games away of, like, really making noise in the in the East. And, you know, point guard like Kimball Walker, who doesn't stop moving, who plays hard, you know, it's, it's easy for that guy to do the same. Oh, and, and, and Big Al Jefferson was oh, just fantastic yeah. last night. I mean, he was, he was you know, if, if if you could just separate it from, from the emotion of the moment, just watching the moves he was putting on yeah. uh, last night was, was, it was almost, it was really fun to watch. I mean, not, yeah. not many guys can play like that with his back-to-basket anymore. Exactly. You know, it's definitely, you know, you know, kudos to him, you know, respect. You know, he bought it, you know, and, you know, we didn't really respond, but, you know, he didn't take it easy on us. He didn't feel sorry for us either, so. You know, that's that's what the good players do. Well, of course, you know, the losses to Washington and Charlotte, but those those are two teams on the way up. I'm really impressed with uh, Steve Clifford and the job he's doing with the Charlotte Bobcats, and I think they're going to be a team to be reckoned with in years to come. Kat, yeah. uh, I enjoy the conversation as always. I always learn something new 
when I talk to Kent Bazemore, <laughs> and and uh, I appreciate the time and, and look forward to seeing you out at Oracle tomorrow night. Thank you, my man. See you soon. Always a pleasure to talk with Kent Bazemore. I'm Tim Roy. Quick reminder that LeBron James and the Miami Heat, they come to Warriors Ground next Wednesday, February 12th, their only visit of the year, and be one of the first 10,000 fans who get a Warriors t-shirt courtesy of Cash Creek Casino Resort. Limited tickets are still available. Secure your seats tonight at warriors.com slash dynamic or call one triple eight gsw hoop and press option number one. Upcoming on the show, we go back in the archives for a conversation with outgoing Commissioner David Stern. I'll answer your questions on Twitter at Warriors Vox, Warriors VOX. We'll hear from Kevin Arnovitz of ESPN.com on why the Golden State Warriors should not be in panic mode. And we'll also hear about how the Warriors are continuing with their efforts to make the Bay Area an even better place to live. All upcoming this hour on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable on KMBR 680, the sports leader. Oh, it over Duncan. <laughs> Elevation sensation for Harrison Barnes. Golden State Warriors basketball. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. The Golden State Warriors have long tried to give back to the Bay Area community, and recently, Warriors forward Draymond Green, along with employees of the Golden State Warriors and direct-to-consumer insurance company Insurance, work side-by-side with Habitat Terrace, Habitat for Humanity, Greater San Francisco's newest development, and was designed to construct safe, affordable homes for hard-working families in our area. Draymond Green was right there with the volunteers working with framing, plumbing, painting, drywalling, siding, and more for the 28 single-family houses in San Francisco's Ocean View neighborhood. It's all part of the continuing, ongoing efforts of the Golden State Warriors to try to make the Bay Area an even better place to live. First off, thanks for having me. Um, you know, on behalf of the Warriors organization, you know, thank, like to thank Eshorns and you know Habitat for Humanity for making this possible. You know, so I, it's great to be out here. And what I didn't know is season ticket holders come out here and do things like this. And for some reason, y'all always end up out here doing great stuff like this. So you know, I think it's it's great. You know, to, all, to help someone out. You know, you never know how far this is going to go. So to be out here helping someone out is always great. So. You know, we like to come out here and try to make a play, make a play in someone else's life, and everyone's doing that today, so it's great, and thank everybody. Looking on the website earlier, and I saw that, Draymond, your first job was as a janitor. Is that yeah. right? Yes, or is that made up? No, that's the truth. Okay, so that's true. <laughs> and you should have seen him up there raising walls and doing some work up on the second story here. He's legit. So thank you so much, Warriors for being out here, for making San Francisco and the Bay Area a stronger community. We cannot thank you enough for your commitment to the cause at Greater San Francisco's Habitat for Humanity. Growing up, I always said that's something that I wanted to do. You know, you see the commercials or you hear about this or you read about that. You know, just growing up, there was always something I said, you know, if I ever made it, I want to be in a position where I'm always giving back and where I can always help out. Like I said before, you know, I don't feel like you're really living life if you're not helping someone else out. You know, if you can't put a smile on someone else's face, then at the end of the day, what are you really living for? You know, I'm, I'm thinking about building a home, so, you know, I may be able to do this myself now. I may not have to pay anybody to do it when I'm ready to do that.
State Warriors basketball. Splash another one. Steph Curry from distance, his seventh three-pointer of the game. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Warriors box. Welcome back to the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. I'm Tim Roy. A quick reminder that Avita and the Warriors are offering one lucky fan the chance to win a Warriors road trip. This experience includes a trip for two to Detroit. You get to go to the Palace in Auburn Hills to see the Warriors take on the Pistons. Registration is free to enter for your chance to win. Go to warriors.com slash Avita. Time now to answer your questions and comments on Twitter at WarriorsVox, at WarriorsVox. So you can send me an email to the Warriors website at TimRoy, T-I-M-R-O-Y-E, at Warriors.com. A couple of quick questions. What's up with the Clay Thompson? And can Andre pick up some of the slack on the offense? That's from Jim Yoshi. And the Jim, I'd have to say that right now Clay is going through a little bit of a midseason slump on the the offensive end. But don't forget on the defensive end, he's putting out a lot of energy guarding the other team's best offensive guards. So you have to take that into account. He's contributing for the team on both sides of the floor. And sometimes his shot is going to suffer. Uh, I still think at, at, at some point, those shots will start to fall again for Clay Thompson. You know, He's missing open shots and shots that normally are, are layups for him. 15-footers, 17-footers, those shots will start to fall again for Klay Thompson at some point of the season. As far as Andre is concerned, I think uh, the Warriors need Andre to be an aggressive offensive player. I think they need him to look to make plays. You know, he's been bothered by that hamstring all year long. It's this kind of injury that you're always, you know, it's always in the back of your mind because they do reoccur. So I think for Andre to be aggressive, look to make plays for other people, when he's doing that, the Warriors are a much more difficult team to guard. Next question comes from Hanging Sliders. When will the ISOs stop, and is Bogut the second-best ball handler after Curry? I think the ISOs are just a product right now of the Warriors not really having confidence enough to make plays for other people. I think they need to get back to where they were in the first month of the season. The ball was moving around the perimeter. They were making that extra pass. They were trying to look to make plays for other people. And I think when the offense stutters a little bit, when it stops, I think what happens is people end up trying, okay, I've got to make a play. I've got to make get a basket for us. And I think they put a little more pressure on a one-on-one rather than trying to move the ball and get something going for somebody else. So I think you know the Warriors kind of need to take a step back a little bit, just relax and keep moving the basketball. When you do it side to side, it's hard to defend that over 24 seconds. Now, is Bogut the second best ball handler after Curry? Well, uh, Crawford's a good ball handler coming off the bench. I think we have yet to see how good he can be. But I think there's no question that Andrew Bogut, he's probably, uh, if not the best ball handling center in the league, then he's definitely in the top two or three. He's an outstanding ball handler. Yes, he'll have an occasional turnover with the ball, but I think for a big guy to pass the ball the way he does, to dribble the ball the way he does, I mean, how many fives can lead your fast break? Andrew Bogut can do that. Time now to move ahead? No, actually, let's go back in time a little bit. Now, we're not going to get into our flux capacitor per se, but we're going to go back to 2008 and a conversation I had with David Stern, the outgoing commissioner of the NBA. The Warriors were in China at the time, and we talked about his life in basketball and about some of the issues addressing the NBA and still relevant today as they were back then. 
Well, Commissioner, first of all, it's, it's great to see you again, and, and we're here in China, and, and you've been telling us for years about how big the NBA is here. For a lot of us, it's, it's our first experience, and it's, it's truly amazing. You go to Guangzhou, and they know who to cheer for. They know the rosters, 1 to 15. It's great. Uh, they're great fans of the game. They follow it. Uh, it isn't just about the business. Actually, it's about the basketball, and they appreciate a good effort and a good game. When you first started working with the NBA, did you imagine the NBA this global, or did you have a vision and it's maybe exceeded that? I didn't have a vision. I didn't imagine anything. It was about getting through the day. International seemed like an interesting idea. We saw other companies doing it. We said, why not us? We're cultural. We're a product. Let's give it a try. And we invited the Chinese national team over to be our guest in 1985. And uh, we've had a relationship with China. Uh, and now we have offices in Shanghai, Beijing, and Hong Kong. And uh, business is terrific. Is there a... I guess a, a, a mapped out future of what you see the NBA being in Europe and worldwide here in China? It's, it's not mapped out, but certain things tend to begin to take shape. In Europe, we now have uh, an arena in London run by AEG, which built Staples Center and, and operates it. And just signed a deal here in China. We just signed a deal with them to build 12 arenas here. I think if there are ample arenas there in nine or ten years there might even be a division of the NBA in Europe. For China we're talking to the CBA, the Chinese Basketball Association, about a partnership at some point where we might partner for an NBA affiliated or NBA sponsored league but not a part of the NBA in North America. Could you see maybe a situation where an NBA team may draft a, a foreign player wherever he may be and say he is from Europe, and maybe he goes as a, almost like a, an arrangement with a D-League type arrangement to play in Europe or a D-League type arrangement to right. play in China? Well, you know, we're beginning to see that now in an informal way. Uh, teams with 15 players on their roster use a second-round pick to take a pretty good prospect. He's under contract for two or three more years with his European club, and they say, fine, don't knock yourself out, develop and the like. But I think there will be new models, and we'll have to work that out with our clubs and with our Players Association. NBA officials have been revamped in terms of their structure. What's the most important thing you think will come of that? Well, I think the most important thing is that we're going to do a better job both in enforcing our rules, which we're redefining, in making access to our official, officials a little more open so that there's more transparency to it, and uh, leadership of, uh, of taking the 60 officials and uh, making them into a cohesive unit because those guys really do want to do the best job they possibly can. If you could pick two or three things that you would like to see done in the next CBA, what would they be? I would say that we need to spend less money. There I echo my owners. I think that the margins in this business are tilted decidedly in favor of the players, but that's a negotiation. And I would like to see the 19-year-old uh, rule that we have maybe made 20 because I think that the raising the age, entry age makes us better able to absorb more developed players and more developed people, and it's better ultimately for their development beyond their first year in the NBA.
and, and before you decide to say the, the heck with this, I'm going to go home and go fishing or whatever it is that you do, what would you like to see the NBA? You know, just successful. I, uh, I don't believe in too much in long-term planning. I think you sort of set a general course. Uh, I'd like to see the international continue to grow as more and more people get an appreciation for our game. The result of that will be more elite athletes will turn to our sport and it will just raise the level of basketball on a global basis. I'd like to see our NBA Digital, which is a joint venture between us and Turner Broadcasting, NBA TV, NBA.com, NBA League Pass, NBA Wireless. You know, this is a digital world. We're growing that. And I'd like to see the WNBA continue to grow because that gives us a unique opportunity to talk to young women and not so young women, which sets our sport aside from others. So we've got a, a really good opportunity taken together with the Development League, the NBA Development League, which really is producing some good talents. We've got a lot of work to do, and we just keep getting more and more. Well, we thank you for all the questions that you have brought to us via Warriors Vox on Twitter. That's Warriors V-O-X on Twitter. I try to answer as many questions as we can on KMBR 680, the sports leader. And the Warriors Weekly Roundtable continues. We're talking with Kevin Arnovitz of ESPN.com and the True Hoop. We're going to talk a little bit about the Warriors and also uh, the NBA. And first of all, Kevin, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. From afar, we work, we're right on top of the Warriors situation. Uh, what do you see from afar? Because I know you've written about the Warriors and the full squad. And, and uh, certainly, you know, there have been times this year the Warriors have looked like a team that is going to have to be dealt with in the Western Conference playoff race. That has not been the case over the last couple of weeks. Uh, what, what do you see from afar? You know, last week, it was funny, I was on the air and asking to address the idea that the Warriors have been this grand disappointment this season. And I got really defensive because I've been bullish on the Warriors, and I actually am one who believes that when that five-man unit, the starters are playing together, they're a really devastating lineup. And the data sort of suggests that. And then, of course, invariably, whenever you are a supporter of the team, you'll be asked to comment on them uh, just after possibly their worst game of the season because that's always how it works. Um, and, exactly. And, and the Charlotte game was instructive for a couple of reasons. I mean, one is watching the offense in the first quarter. Two things stand out to you. One is they just don't take very good care of the basketball at times. And, you know, in a game that's 95, 94 possessions, you throw away six or seven of those, seems marginal, but it's it's the difference between winning and losing most nights. And yeah, there were a couple possessions. I think Clay Thompson had a couple uh, key turnovers. Uh, and the other was I was reassured because you look at the sets they ran in that first quarter, they scored terribly against Charlotte. And it's a lot of the stuff that often yields productive results. David Lee missed a couple of point-blank shots at the basket, one off a lovely pick-and-roll with, with Stephen Curry. Uh, Stephen did that, that high-screen roll where he kind of hides behind Bogut and Lee and, and finds a three-pointer that he can hit as well as anyone. They missed a lot of weak side Options, uh, good two-man action on one side of the floor. The ball works its way over to Thompson or Iguodala had a had a shot at, at some point. They missed. So there's always this tension when analyzing basketball when to just lay it on a team because they're playing carelessly and recklessly and not doing things to help them win, and when the process works but the results just don't yield what you want them to. And 
I think right now the Warriors are right in between those two. I don't think it's hopeless by any means. It's an 82-game season, almost without exception, just about every team. There's always one or two that manage to escape the regular season unscathed, but most teams go through a wretched stretch where they're losing home games to teams they shouldn't lose to. San Antonio sort of going through it right now. Uh, the Clippers did it earlier. They have a very rough stretch. Uh, Houston has been Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, even OKC had that four-game losing streak where they lost some just head-scratching home games. So I, I don't think it's time for the sky to fall. There's still really good process, you see, even in the Charlotte game. There was good process that just, you know, five, six shots rimming in and out in the first or second quarter alone. Yeah, it's interesting to, to look, and, and it's it's hard sometimes to uh, separate yourself, stand back and look at it and, and say, okay, uh, this is what's going on right now. It doesn't mean it's going to happen the rest of the year. You know, if you go back and look at last season and look at the Warriors, there was a stretch in February. I think we had like a four-game road trip and just got blasted on all four games. And you thought, oh wow, this is it's over now. But then you know they got it re you know restarted again and, and started playing better basketball when it came to April. I wanted to ask you about the Clippers and Oklahoma City. And even to a, a smaller uh, sample size, last night uh, Charlotte comes in. They had lost Kimball Walker for seven games. They were four and three without Kimball Walker. And I look at Oklahoma City and what they're doing without Westbrook and the Clippers and what they're doing without Chris Paul. Why are these teams excelling so much? Is it just simply that they have a competent you know, NBA backup who's able to step in and run the show? I think systems matter. And coaches talk a lot about this, that – it doesn't matter who's on the floor as long as we run our stuff or we work our system or we're true to our principles. And you hear the cliches, as I'm sure you do every night in, in the pre- and post-game uh, coach availabilities. But there's truth to it. I mean, one of the things that Oklahoma City has done in the last couple of years is refine a defensive system that is almost foolproof. And we all, always talk about Durant, as we should. He's probably the most influential player in the game right now in terms of his team's success. But... They have become a top-three defensive team by leveraging their length, by being you know, really true to the principles they want to apply when they're pressuring in the half court. And you can do that with anyone. And not with anyone. I, I have trouble kind of coming over from the weak side, and you wouldn't want to see that at 5'7". <laughs> but I think the point is, is, is Russell Westbrook's a, a superb basketball player. On the defensive side of the ball, I don't know that they lose a lot. Um, by installing Reggie Jackson, who, by the way, is probably a little less of a gambler, might be, in terms of base defense, slightly better than Westbrook. And so you start right there, and that's a system that works. I mean, you look at the Clippers, and slowly but surely, you know, they're, they're able to, you know, with, with J.J. Redick particularly in the lineup, you know, Redick's going to buzz around those three screens, that single double he likes to do, and and nobody's better at delivering him the ball off those screens than Chris Paul. But the truth and the matter is, is, if everyone does their job offensively, you know, and, and the screens are sturdy, and the movement makes sense, Darren Collison can hit him coming off that, that elbow screen just as easily. And I, I think so it's about devising a system, and no team is better at illustrating this than San Antonio. I, I mean, they'll pick up Boris Diaw off the scrap heap from Charlotte a couple seasons ago. You know, everyone shrugs, and it turns out, oh, you, you put that guy in that system, and all of a sudden, he's an exceptionally productive basketball player. You know, you lose, you know, you, you lose Gary Neal, well, you, you just pick up Marco Bellinelli, who you know, has been floating around the NBA for years. Uh, and so I think 
if you can create a system, that's when the, tr- the parts can be interchangeable. That's when if you lose a really potent player and you replace them with somebody who's ostensibly not as good, well, it can work because the system reigns true. Kevin Arnovitz, VSPN.com. He's been with them since 2008. He joins us here on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. You know, there's been a story that, that kind of is is been kind of quiet, but I'm, I'm intrigued by it because I think somebody's going to go get him uh, before the All-Star break, and that's Andre Miller. Uh, had the run-in with Brian Shaw. Shaw did not play him. His streak ends. Uh, they basically have sent him home uh, for a while. Uh, what do you think is going to happen there? Who do you think will uh, be the the people that are going to be really interested in Andre Miller and, and trying to buy him at the uh, trading deadline? I still think Minnesota wants to make a run. They're a good team. You look at their point differential. Uh, as of a couple of days ago, they were actually just skirting in the top ten of both offense and defense. They're they're a better team than their record shows. They lost a lot of close games, and they could use some help off the bench. Uh, I don't think there's any great love for J.J. Barea there. And I, I could see them swinging deal. It might have to be a three-way deal. It, it might have to. Uh, it's going to probably require a lot of moving parts. And, and it, it would take a coach like Adelman. Um, Miller, Miller is such an interesting player because, I mean, he looks like a guy down at the Y. I mean, he, he, he notoriously doesn't condition himself, yet never gets injured. One of the most durable players. You talk to big men who played with them, like you know, LaMarcus Aldridge, and they just swoon when they talk about how Miller is able to find them exactly where they want the ball at, at moments when you, you, you can't even see the play. Uh, on the other hand, he's a bit prickly, um, which is being generous, and it, it, it won't work in every situation. But I think for a team sort of – teetering on the edge that could use some depth at the point, you know, I, there, that something will get worked out. He, he's just, he's too helpful in a particular context not to be adopted by somebody. And, you know, whether it's the Wolves or, uh, you know, I don't, who else, somebody else in the middle of the pack um, in the Western Conference, I, I, I expect to see something happen. Yeah, it's interesting because he's one of those guys that, that he's not quick at all. He just gets to where he needs to go, delivers the ball on time and on target, doesn't turn it over, and every now and then he gets it going offensively, as he did against the Warriors last year in the playoffs, and he, and he can carry it for a little bit. So I think he's, he's, he's going to help somebody, and it's going to be a very uh, interesting to, to me to see where you know he's going to end up. You know, sometimes we take – comments we, we make a big deal about them and and I th- I, sometimes I think the players don't even care or read or listen to what we we say but I really was struck by you know LeBron one day just you know absentmindedly gazing at the statue saying boy if I had that many shots so as Kevin Durant gets I could you know really do something and then it just seems that Kevin Durant saw that read that took it to heart and he's just been on a tear ever since that comment came out these guys are really competitive and they're graceful, and everybody's friendly in the NBA, and some of the old-timers kind of resent. But I think it's widely accepted LeBron James is the best basketball player in the world. Uh, you don't need to put a poll in the field to appreciate that's going to be the response of the majority. And this is the first time in his career where there is any way a debate about that. And I don't think it's about being an egomaniac or about excessive pride. LeBron wants to be the best at his craft, um, as he has been. <laughs> and the idea that there's somebody else who might be more efficient or you know, smarter about executing that goal, 
has to eat at him a little bit because he's competitive. By definition, these guys are competitors. We, it's, it's funny, we... We, we sometimes hold them to a double standard. We want absolute humility and act like you've been there before and be Barry Sanders and just toss the ball when you get into the end zone. Um, and yet we want them to be gladiators and competitors and give it their all on 110%. I mean, what does 110% really mean? That means more than you actually constitutionally can give. And I think that's just the situation with LeBron. And, and it's, it's great for the game, I think. And particularly if we see these two teams meet in the finals, Particularly as Miami, let's face it, has kind of been sleepwalking through the first half of the season. They're locked into this weird two seed where they're miles behind Indiana, uh, given how Indiana's playing, yet they're in no danger of losing their station at the two seed. So uh, while they would never admit it, it's, it's, they're conserving their energy. They, they've been there before. They know what's required in an 82-game season plus an additional 20 or so. And it's good because I think it does – provide LeBron with an incentive that wouldn't otherwise be there if Durant weren't as potent as he were. Yeah, it's interesting to look at the player efficiency ratings, and you got Chris Paul at 27.54, and he's the leader of this pack of great players. And then it jumps to LeBron at 29.18, and then jumps again to Durant at a ridiculous 31.13. It's uh, it's it's really amazing to watch them uh, go. Hey, a uh, couple of teams before I let you go that I want you to talk about. Uh, what happened in Brooklyn? Who turned on the light switch, and, and uh, why are they playing so well? I, my theory is this, and, and I'm not 100% confident of it, but I just think playing small helps, and that's not an indictment of Brooke Lopez, who's a fantastically efficient center. But just they, it was just you, there are certain teams you watch, it just gets congested. We don't see it as much in the Western Conference because I think teams, by and large, do an exceptionally good job out West of spacing the floor. And while there are teams that are truly committed to staying big, like Portland, like Oklahoma City increasingly, out back east, it's just it's like rigor mortis sometimes. And you watch some of these games, and there's just no space on the floor. And whether it's because their four men aren't as stretchy as guys like LaMarcus Aldridge or Serge Ibaka or David Lee. And they, it just sort of – it was like this decongestant where you know they have – Garnett playing the five, not unlike he did in Boston in the latter years there. And the floor just opened up, and now there's space for the drivers. And you have you know, bit players like Sean Livingston who can really see the floor, and now Joe Johnson, you know, a guy who just works in space, you know, not exceptionally quick, but just needs a layer of space around him to make a play, whether behind the arc or you know, one dribble and shoot. And I think that's really made the difference. And... And it's, you know, I, I've never liked this theory. Well, that fuels their defense, as if one is dependent on the other. But I really think it has. There's just, they, they, were, they just weren't, I want to say unmotivated, but the defensive end was just sort of desultory. There was no rhyme or reason to the schemes. And now, all of a sudden, there's just an urgency they're playing with. And again, I think it has, has to do with the floor that's more open, um, it, it, where there are more opportunities you know, to use your talent, you know, to exploit the defense. Yeah, then they also with with the lineup they have, especially with Livingston out there, you know, they've got a lot of guys who are all about the same size. Yeah. So they can switch and not lose anything. You know, Joe Johnson, Livingston, Pierce, they're all about the same size and they're you know, if you switch, no big deal. It's the same matchup. Yeah, and, so. and you know, those are, talk about three guys who can pretty much all handle the ball too. Correct. And so now you've got in Garnett, you know, moves the ball beautifully. And I always say you and this is what I like about the Warriors at the end of the day is, if we want to bring it back there, the reason I like the Warriors so much is I just want as many guys who can move the ball as possible on the floor at once. And 
you know, I don't know that there's a team in the West, you know, with a possible exception of San Antonio, I don't even know if that's it, that do that as well as the Warriors do, where, you know, where at the one, at the three, at the four, at the five, you have guys who are all exceptional ball handlers at their position. And, and it's not like Clay Thompson's chopped liver either. Um, you know, he, he's much better at making plays than he used to be. Certainly not a strong suit. You know, not a guy I want making a play off the dribble for someone else. But, you know, that's where I come back to some hope. It's just passing big man, a three-man like Iguodala who can play the point effectively. Um, you know, guys of similar size. And, and the flexibility is what you want on the basketball court. A bunch of guys who can do a bunch of different things. And now, you know, to that point, Brooklyn is able to do that. Yeah, I think the, the, that's the one thing with the Warriors right now is that they, they still have that in their back pocket. They have guys that can pass, guys who are willing passers, too. You know, There are a lot of players in the league who can pass, but sometimes they're not willing passers. And the Warriors are very unselfish, you know, almost to a fault. And I, I think, to me, the, the, what I see with the Warriors right now is the, the only thing that, that, that could, could change this right away is just bring a sense of urgency about it. You know, to bring the sense that okay, we're we're two games from being out of the playoff race now. Now we've got to bring that energy and that urgency to the table, so that when you play a team like Charlotte on your home floor, you make sure that they don't believe from the opening tip to the final buzzer that they're going to win that game. And so far this year, the Warriors haven't shown that. They need to find that somewhere in the next couple of months. Yeah, and look, at the end of the day, every team is you know a three-game win streak away from riding the ship. I mean it. We tend to live in each and every game in an 82-game season. And, look, no one's going to remember the Charlotte game, you know, if they win a big game on the road in late February. And I think it, it, what I think we're looking at with the Warriors is they're going to finish at the 4, the 5, or the 6. And I, I'm, I'm not going to, I won't stick my entire reputation on that, but I feel pretty certain that's a range I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with, uh, which means they're probably going to play, you know, the Clippers, Houston, Portland. And it's, it's what we've said about the Warriors for the best, better part of a year and a half, which is nobody wants to see that team in the playoffs in a seven-game situation because the margin of possibilities with a guy like Steph Curry is just frightening. I mean, no, if you're not a Warriors fan, and, and to the Warriors fans listening, this is the scariest guy outside of Durant in, in, a, in, a, in a given situation or possession. I mean, because there is no defense. And by the way, he's not hitting at a record pace. I mean, I think, I think people are always surprised when they realize you know, he's a below 40% shooter from that range because it just seems like he hits everything. But, you know, for all the consternation there is right now, and, and no one should be happy with what they saw against Charlotte, I think this is a team that's going to finish in the four, five, or six, which means they're going to be pitted up against a team that they can conceivably beat in a seven-game series. Let the chips fall where they may. You have the best shooter, or one of the two or three best shooters on the planet. Uh, you've got one of the you know, three or four best defensive big men. You know, you've got a wing who's as good a perimeter defender as anybody, and you know, anything can happen, and I think in a Western Conference playoff series in that three to six range. Kevin, I really appreciate the time. I really enjoyed the conversation. I look forward to uh, uh, doing this again sometime in the near future. Oh, really appreciate it. And and if people want to follow you on Twitter, they would go to Kevin Arnovitz, K E V I N A R N O V I T Z. You'll get a steady diet of basketball and some uh, hole in the wall restaurant tips in Southern California area. Absolutely, we need to we need to follow him, and uh, certainly you can follow him as I do to learn more about the NBA. Kevin, again, thank you so much. Appreciate it.
My thanks to Kevin Arnovitz and his conversation. Hope you enjoyed it. If you missed any part of it or any part of tonight's show, you can get to it on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash warriors. Listen to all Warriors interviews, whether they be at practice, on radio stations. Uh, you can get it all right there on SoundCloud. Great thing to have if you want to hook up your headphones. Maybe you're coming in to work on BART or going to class. A great way to catch up on what's happening with the Golden State Warriors. LeBron James and the Miami Heat come to Warriors ground next Wednesday, February 12th, and be one of the first to 10,000 fans and receive a Warriors t-shirt courtesy of Cash Creek Casino Resort. Limited tickets are still available. Secure your seats tonight at warriors.com slash dynamic or call one gsw hoop and press option number one. We'll come back and look ahead to the schedule. The Chicago Bulls in town, our first look at the Bulls tomorrow night. And we'll check that out and more on KMBR 680, the sports leader. Golden State Warriors basketball. Draymond goes to work with three, with two, runner, right hand flip on the rim and down. Draymond Green. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Look ahead to the upcoming broadcast brought to you by our friends at Cash Creek Casino Resort. Tomorrow night's our first look at the Chicago Bulls. They make their annual trip to Oracle. 7 o'clock is the pregame show as the Golden State Warriors look to bounce back after a rough night against the Charlotte last night. And in tomorrow night's game, they have to deal with the mercurial Joakim Noah. Running baseline right to fade the fire. No, the tip is good. That's Joakim Noah. That's a big bucket right there. Makes it a 10-point game. Joakim Noah is working it tonight. He's got another double-double 11-11. and 11. That's right. And for Mr. Noah, double-double number 19 on the year. Warriors and Bulls, 7 o'clock is the airtime on Thursday night. Warriors go back on the road for a Saturday night clash with the Phoenix Suns. The Suns just ahead of the Warriors in the standings in the Western Conference playoff race. And one of the reasons why they're doing so well, the improved play of point guard Goran Dragic. Three on two the other way. Dragic ahead. Oh, the world behind the back dribble. Scoop and score. Magnificent play for Goran Magic. Warriors and Suns, Saturday, 5.30 is the start time with the pregame show right here on KBR 680 and the Golden State Warriors Radio Network. Back home for two more games before the All-Star break. Monday night, the Philadelphia 76ers and the exciting rookie that is Michael Carter-Williams. He drives baseline to Anderson. He goes up. It's stripped away by Carter Williams. He shovels ahead to Turner. LeBron lurks, and Turner dunks it again. Soaring right in on LeBron James. Not giving him any chance to tip it from behind. Another slam dunk run out for the Sixers. And Carter Williams is leading the break with that great defense. Warriors and Sixers, 7 o'clock, the pregame show on Monday night. And don't forget, it's Wilt Chamberlain Bobblehead Night. The first of 10,000 fans receive a limited edition bobblehead courtesy of Kia. And then Wednesday night, the two-time defending champion Miami Heat come to town. 7 o'clock is the pregame show. Can the Warriors slow down LeBron James? Cole down the middle of the floor, Norris Cole. The alley-oop, and behind the head, LeBron James on the alley-oop from Cole. And the first 10,000 fans receive a T-shirt courtesy of Cash Creek Casino Resort. That's on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. And then on Thursday, it's the weekly roundtable, the pre-All-Star edition, as Steph Curry goes to New Orleans to represent the Golden State Warriors. Limited tickets still available for the games against Chicago, Philadelphia, and Miami. You can buy your tickets online at warriors.com or by calling one 888 gswhoop
I'm Tim Roy, thanking all of our guests on this week's edition of the Warriors Weekly Roundtable, thanking outgoing Commissioner David Stern, including Warriors swingman Kent Bazemore, Kevin Arnovitz of ESPN.com, and outgoing Commissioner David Stern. For the producer who always says goodbye, R.C. Davis, for David Feldhouse at the controls, don't forget Ray Woodson is up next, taking your calls and comments at 808-KMBR. Saying goodnight for the Warriors Weekly Roundtable, a reminder, Warriors and Bulls tomorrow night, starting at 7, right here on KMBR. KMBR 680, the sports leader. Golden State Warriors basketball. Stolen by Iguodala, right to Clay Thompson, back to Iguodala. One dribble goes to the rim, and he scores with the right hand. For tickets, go to warriors.com or call 1-888-GSW-HOOP.